0: Great, what a fantastic song. I haven't sung that for years. I learned that way back in the 1960s when I was young. (laughs) And uh, I remember when we first sang that in Earl's Court in London, which was a big arena, seated about 30,000 people. And uh, Billy Graham was having some meetings there. And we went down from where I lived, the area in the west of England, And they sang that song as the first I'd ever heard it. Heaven came down and glory filled my soul. And we heard from Marta what that meant in her life uh, when she came to know Christ. So thank you, Marta, for your part in this evening's meeting. One of the most important parts, I think, in this evening's meeting in uh, showing us the transformation that comes uh, through coming into a relationship Jesus Christ. And it's about that I want to talk again this evening. If you were here this morning, I read from Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20, the following five verses. I'm reading those verses every service this week. Uh, Tonight, Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, if you can come for all the meetings. Uh, We have one really, one truth, one message I'm bringing over these, uh, these four days. Let me read it again, Galatians 2 and verse 20, where Paul writes there, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, then Christ died for nothing. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Christ, Jesus Christ, was clearly portrayed as crucified. I'd like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish then? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? And that's as far as I'm going to read. And this morning, we looked at the first phrase in those verses. In Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. And we talked about the cross of Christ, that Jesus Christ died not in the first place for you or for me. He died to address the just wrath of his Father. And we talked about why that is such a liberating thing. You see, we don't demand death for sin. We'd be very happy to be forgiven simply as long as you are repentant and you confess it, then God will forgive. You don't need a cross for that. But the cross was Jesus Christ addressing the judgment of God, the soul that sins shall die. And in the cross, God's justice was satisfied. And on the basis of that, we are justified. And we explained that justified is not the same thing as being forgiven. Justified is a legal term. It means justice has been satisfied. And I get an illustration from Uh, Scotland, capital punishment when it took place in Scotland up until 1963. They declared that the person who had been hanged had been justified. That was the public notice they put on the prison wall. didn't mean he'd been forgiven, but it meant the case was over. The judge had gone home now. The lawyers were working on other cases. The cops were back on the streets. It's over. Nothing more to face in this particular crime. He's justified by having satisfied all the requirements of the law. And in the same way, we are justified, which is why when we confess our sin, we don't appeal to God's mercy for our forgiveness. We appeal to his justice. If if we confess our sins, John wrote in 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse the in righteousness. So that's what we talked about this morning, and it's very, very important to understand that. That is the threshold of a Christian life. That's the beginning, and we have to appropriate it ourselves. It's no good just saying, well, I believe it happened. We say, Lord, thank you that it happened for me. I have been crucified with Christ in the reckoning of God. I am in Christ. Thank you and We appropriate his forgiveness. Thank you for your cleansing. Please forgive me. Cleanse me and make me whole. But of course, that in itself isn't the gospel. That brings us into the gospel, but it's not about being justified and forgiven and then sort of uh, gathered together in bundles you know, you bundle up these forgiven Christians and you keep them together in, in, in what we call churches and you get sprinkled every once in a while with some kind of spiritual disinfectant so that one day we'll be respectable to get into heaven when we die. That's not what it is. And I want to talk about the second phrase in that verse this, morning, this evening. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. This is what the gospel is about. It's about restoring the life of God into human experience. Our problem is not that we are guilty, that is only a symptom. Our problem is that we are spiritually dead. And spiritually dead people don't just need forgiving, they need resurrection. Bringing back to life. And on the basis of being forgiven, on the basis of being justified, we are then, in the language of Jesus, various words, born again of the Spirit, is one phrase. Receiving new life. Being made regenerate. Regeneration is the Restoring of life. Jesus said in John 10, verse 10, I have come that you might have life. And Martha said to us that the day her life changed was the day that Christ came to live in her heart. Isn't that what you said? That was the day that life changed. What happened that day? Did she believe something new? Well, maybe, because you have to understand and believe this, but what happened was that Christ came to live in her. And when Christ came to live in her, he created new appetites, new resources, new desires, new power. You see, remember, just to explain this fully this evening, the nature of the fall that the scripture explains in Genesis and the Garden of Eden was that people... Well, Adam and Eve together became spiritually dead. That was the nature of the fall because God had said to them, you can do whatever you like in the garden, except one thing, do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For he said, and I quote, for the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Well, you know the story. They ate. What happened? Did they die? Not physically. When God came in the cool of the day, he didn't find two corpses lying under the tree. Physically they lived for many years. I remember years ago when I was coming into Canada from England, when I was living in England, I was coming here to speak. Someone I arrived at Toronto Airport and they said, What are you doing here? I said, Well, I'm a I'm a preacher. And I'm coming to speak at a couple of conferences. And they said, oh, you're a preacher, are you? And I said, "Uh, yes. So the immigration officer said, there's some rather corrupt preachers around, you know. And I said, yeah, there are one or two. He said, but you wouldn't be one of them, would you? (laughs) I said, no, I don't think so. He said, some preachers come here just to make money. And they kind of confuse people and they get people to give them their money. I said, I know, that's terrible. He said, you don't do that? No. He said, "Uh, some preachers don't know their Bibles very well. I said, oh, perhaps not. He said, some don't even know how how old Adam was when he died. (laughs) I said, "Uh, I don't know if they do or not. He said, but you know, don't you? I said, uh, yes, I do. He said, how old was Adam when he died? I said, he was 930. He said, you're genuine. And he stamped my passport. (laughs) (laughs) Well, God said, the day you eat of it, that day you will die. But he lived for 930 years. That's remarkable in itself, but that's a different era. That's a different story. Adam died not physically but spiritually, which means, in the words of Paul in Ephesians 4 and verse 18, he became separated from the life of God. God created human beings to be indwelt by his spirit. That's how they were designed to function when it describes people as being in his image, in his moral image. It's not because human beings would imitate God and show his image. We can't do that. It's that human beings would be indwelt by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God in them would express himself through them. So Adam, in the Garden of Eden, if you had been a fly on the wall and watched the way he treated Eve, you would have seen he was very kind and gentle and loving because God is kind and God is loving and God is gentle. We would have seen the way Eve responded and treated Adam. We would have seen in her the character of God because it was the Spirit of God living in them. That the day you eat that day, you become separated from the life of God. You act in disobedience, you will die. And you find that the moment they have died and God speaks to them, Adam blames Eve for what had happened. Eve blames the serpent for what had happened. And she said, "It's. Uh, it's uh, Adam says the woman you gave me, blame God actually." <laughs> <laughs> and their firstborn son grew up to be the first murderer. When he killed his brother, Abel. Cain. And ever since then, in the language of Paul, in First Corinthians fifteen, verse twenty-two, in Adam all die. And although we are born physically alive and soulishly active with the mind, emotions, and will, we are born spiritually dead. I have my latest granddaughter, who was eight weeks old yesterday, born in South Africa, and uh, we were there for a few weeks, so had the joy of meeting her, and... Uh, She's a beautiful little girl. Beautiful little girl. And you think, this is the most beautiful baby I've ever seen. She's so pure, so whole. Everything works. But unfortunately, she inherited her mother's nature who inherited her grandmother's nature, which is my wife. (laughs) No, and she inherited mine, born spiritually dead. Which means in the course of time, incapable of being what she was created to be. Which is why all fall short. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The glory of God is the character of God. I'm going to talk about that aspect another night. Paul wrote to the Ephesians, he said this to them in Ephesians 2 and verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. There was a time when you were dead. Physically you were alive, soullessly, but you were spiritually dead. And the gospel is that restoring life. I have been crucified with Christ. I have been identified with him. His death was my death. I don't stay dead, I live. But not I, the life I live now. Christ lives in me. Because the life that we receive is not something. It's not a life, just something. It is someone. Jesus said in John 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth. I am the life. Not I show you the way and I teach you the truth and I'll give you the life. I am those things. John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. <clears throat> he doesn't just give us life. He is the life that he gives. He is himself the life. He gives us himself. 1 John 5, verse 11 and 12 says, this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Why? Because the life is the life of the Son. And when somebody is born again, by definition, Jesus Christ, by his Holy Spirit, comes to live in them and they become the recipient of life. And with life, there's power. With life, there's strength. With life, there's newness. I didn't know this when I first became a Christian. As I look back, I didn't see it this way at the time. But with hindsight, I realized this is how I saw it. I thought that when I became a Christian, God had given me three things. <laughs> I'll put them in picturesque language. <laughs> He'd given me, I thought, a ticket and a certificate and a catalog Let me explain them. The ticket said, one way to heaven. I knew, now I've become a Christian, I was going to heaven. The certificate said, this is to certify that Charles Price had all his sins forgiven, signed God. (laughs) So if you said to me, and I became a Christian when I was 12 years of age, I grew up in a Christian church where they preach the gospel. And if you said to me, in the first several years of my Christian life, are you a Christian? Yes. What does that mean? It means my sins have been forgiven and I'm going to heaven when I die. Then if you said to me, what about now? Are you planning to go to heaven yet? No, not for a long time. So what have you got now? My understanding was a bit like this. That it was like a, a catalog, a kind of mail order. Those don't exist now, do they? Online catalog. And it was called the Bible. And I could read the catalog and find out all the good things I could get from God. So, for instance, I could read the catalog and see if I could have love. So I would put in my order, which is called praying, and saying, God, please give me some love. And imagine the Holy Spirit coming with a tube of love, a bit like toothpaste, squeeze it in my inside and go, oh, loving for a little while. <laughs> And then it would wear off. I have to come back and ask him for more. Then I read the catalogue and find out I can have some joy. Lord, I'm a bit miserable. Would you please give me some joy? And I imagine the Holy Spirit coming with a bottle of joy, a bit like a bubble bath mixture, give it a good shake, take the top off, pour it on the inside, woo joyful for a little while, and that would wear off. Then I read the catalogue and find out, I can have some peace. Lord, I need some peace. Please give me some peace. I'm all uptight. And I imagine the Holy Spirit coming with a tin of peace, a bit like a thick molasses take the lid off, pour it on my inside, and go, oh, peaceful. And that would wear off. I'd read my catalog and my Bible, discover I can have power. Lord, please give me some power. I'm going to give my testimony at the youth meeting on Friday night at about 7.45. Could I have some power about 7.40, please? (laughs) And I imagine the Holy Spirit sending a stick of power uh, like a stick of dynamite and lighting the blue fuse tossing it into my life and standing back, and poof, and His power. And that would wear off. And my Christian life was always wearing off, wearing off, wearing off, wearing off. And one day, I made a discovery that changed my life. When I became a Christian, God had only one thing to give me, and that was himself. That God himself had come to live in me. And coming to live in me, as Paul wrote in Philippians chapter 2, God works in you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. That is, he now works in you with the right desires, the right appetites, a hunger and a thirst for what is right, and also the enabling. Now it has to work through our broken bodies and histories and lives and all those things which mess us up. And that's a lifetime process. But there's new energy, there's new power. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. It's a great verse to look at sometimes. 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5, Paul said to the Corinthians, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. What do you think he says next? Examine yourself, test yourselves, Do you not realize that Jesus Christ is in you unless you fail the test? Is Jesus Christ in you? Let me ask you that tonight. Is Jesus Christ in you? Paul came to the city of Ephesus in the book of Acts on his second missionary journey. Never been there before, but he had heard there were some believers there. And he came in Acts chapter 19 and it describes them in an interesting way. It says in verse 1 there he found some disciples. So they are disciples. In verse two, he asked them, uh, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? so they were believers? They believed. He asked them in verse three, "What baptism did you receive so they'd been baptized?" And they answered uh, John's baptism. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. So you were repentant. So Paul discovers this group of small group of people. They were disciples. They were believers. They were baptized. And they were repentant. But something was missing. And Paul is troubled. And so he asks them this question in verse 2 of Acts 19, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Is the Holy Spirit living in you? And they answered, no. We've not even heard there was a Holy Spirit. So that's when he said, well, what kind of baptism did you have? And they explained, a man called Apollos had come into Ephesus and Apollos only knew about the baptism of John. He taught about Jesus accurately, told them Jesus was the son of God, incarnate in human form. He knew about Jesus accurately, but he did not know that the gospel was about receiving a new life. The spirit of God comes come to live with you. So he told them what he knew about Christ and he said, you need to believe this. He will open up a way for you to get right with God. But he did not bring to them the essence of the gospel, which is about receiving a new life. And so they said, no, there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul explained to them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them and came to live within them. And they became transformed people. And this is the most vital question of all, the most vital issue of all, because Paul also writes in Romans 8 and verse 9, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. He may have his theology, his doctrine, his beliefs. He may have been baptized. He may have been involved in the church. If he doesn't have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. And John wrote in 1 John 3, 24, this is how we know that he lives in us. We know it by the Spirit he gave us. We know it because the Spirit of God is doing something in our lives. And Martha has shared with us tonight that uh, with all the attempts to try and break these uh, addictions which are impossible to break humanly, she discovered when Christ came into her life, that changed her life. Not to make everything right, it's a process because we live in a broken world with a broken life and broken bodies and the flesh the old nature fights against the spirit that's another issue but she's here tonight many of you are here tonight because you know you are changed by the indwelling of the spirit of God some years ago I was contacted by two men from northern Ireland who asked if they can come and see me. I was living then in the northwest of England. And they said, we're coming across to England. We're coming over to Scotland, then driving down to England. Could we call in and meet with you? Do you have time to meet us for a cup of coffee or something? We want to talk to you? And I said, I'd, I'd love to. And so these, on the day these two men were coming, they came to see me. One was the principal of a high school in the town in Northern Ireland where he lived. The other was a, a businessman. And they said uh, we are members of a church in our town. It's a good sized church. There's uh, about 350 people who attend every Sunday. We're Presbyterian which is the strong church in Northern Ireland. But most people are there because it's tradition for them. And uh, most of our people do not have a personal relationship with Christ. They're there every week. Not even sure our minister has a personal relationship with Christ. But there's a group of us in the church and we have a a real desire to see God do a work in this church. And we went to our minister and we said... uh, could we have an intermission in the church? That is, some meetings just for those who are in the church, not for those outside, to explain what does it mean to really have a relationship with Christ. And he said, well, we've got lots of people. What do we do? Why do we need to do this? They come every single day. And say, yes, but we don't believe many of us have a real relationship with Christ. He said, well... If you want to try and do something like that, okay, go ahead. But you probably won't get anybody who can come and do that. They said to me, would you come and speak (laughs) in the church for an intermission like this? So I sensed it was the right thing. I said, I'll come. They said, would you come for two weeks? And we'll start on the first Sunday. We'll go through to the Sunday two weeks later. That'll be 15 days. We'll give you Saturday off. But we want you to speak Sunday morning, Sunday night, every night to Friday, take Saturday off. Sunday morning, Sunday night, every night to Friday, take Saturday off, and then we have a final Sunday. I said, sure, I'll come. Will the people come though? They said, We don't know. They'll come at the beginning. (laughs) But we're not sure if they'll keep coming. But we feel in our hearts we should have a mission for fifteen days, two weeks. So I went. I thought hard about what I would talk about, how I'd present the gospel. But the first few days, everybody was there. I mean, the church was full. People came in the evenings as well. And everybody seemed to be almost, how, how do I put it? It almost felt dead. People listened. Most of them didn't have Bibles with them, so they couldn't check that what I was saying was true. So <laughs> It was a dangerous thing. <laughs> To bring your Bible with you and follow it and see it. The end of that first week, as far as I could see, nothing had happened. And I spent the Saturday saying, Lord, how are we going to break through? How are you going to break through in these people's lives? And on a Sunday morning, I felt God laid on my heart to preach on this verse in Acts 19 and verse 2. <clears throat> Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I so said, I want to ask you this morning a question. The question, I said, Len, is not, are you a Christian? Because we define Christian in a multiplicity way. So I'm not going to ask you that question. I'm going to ask you, is the Holy Spirit living in you? And I talked about who the Holy Spirit was. I talked about what it is he came to do. And that morning, for the first time, we're now in the eighth day, somebody came to Christ. I was so excited. I went back to where I was staying and I was going to speak on something else that evening. I felt the Lord lay on my heart, speak on the same text. So I spoke that night again. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I all about an evidence that the Holy Spirit's in you. There is a desire to know Christ was the evidence I, I, I gave them because Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, He will testify about me. He will take what is mine and make it known to you. He said, He will remind you of everything I have said to you. These are quotations from what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. Paul said, No one can say Jesus Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He reveals Christ to us. I says How real is Jesus Christ in your life? That's the first mark of the Holy Spirit living within you. And that night, several people came to Christ. So the next night, Monday night, I preached on the same verse. Did you receive the Holy Spirit? Here's another evidence. There's a desire to be like Christ because the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. You can reduce that to one word, character, and you can be more specific, the character of Christ. Is the character of Christ being born in you the way you as husbands treat your wife? Way as wise you respond to your husbands, the way as parents you handle your kids, the way you talk to the neighbors next door, the way you talk about the neighbors and that the, is the fruit of the Spirit, is Jesus Christ's character in you? And that night others came to Christ. The next night I preached on the same verse. I, this night, the evidence is a desire to serve Christ. Jesus said, if anyone first let <laughs> him come to me and drink, And out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And then John adds, by this he meant the Spirit. The Spirit's going to flow through you and give you involvement in the lives of other people. And I preached on that verse that whole second week. And God did a marvelous work in that church. Several elders were converted. Hmm. Several elders. The main youth leader was converted that week. Sunday school workers were converted. <laughs> last, they've got something to teach the kids now. <laughs> they've come to know Christ. On the last night, there was a high pulpit. It was a, it was a church with a balcony around the, the, the uh, uh, sort of U-shaped, horseshoe-shaped, and a congregation down below and in the balcony. And and there was an organ right in front of the pulpit. That's the way they built them in Ireland back in the old days. And it's still there. And the organist was playing. We had a final hymn. And suddenly the organ stopped and his arms went down onto the keyboard. went, (laughs) big noise. And his head dropped. And I thought he'd had a heart attack. But he was weeping. And he came to Christ in front of everybody. That was some years ago now. I haven't told that story for years, but I was in England in July this year. I was speaking to me. I told that story. That I've just told you. man came to me. He said, I'm from Northern Ireland. Which town was that? <laughs> so I told him. He said, oh, I know that town well. Which church was it? So I told him. He said, that church is the leading evangelical church in that town now. They are seeing people come to Christ. I didn't know that because I've not been there. I, I, I called back there once. And by the way, there's lots of stories about this. The, the, the minister's wife, that church, I went to have lunch in their home towards the end of the second week. And she said to me, you'll not preach again in this church unless it's over my dead body. That's what the minister's wife said to me. I said, well, be careful what you say. <laughs> no, really, that she did. She was angry. And the minister took me for coffee after lunch. He didn't want to talk to me at home. So said, let's go and have some coffee. He said, you know, I was converted in a street meeting in Belfast. My life was changed. I went to study theology at Queen's University in Belfast, which is where the main Presbyterian training place is. He said, and they knocked all the life out of me, and I came out of it spiritually dead. He said, thank you for coming, but I don't know how to follow this up now. I said, just go back to teach the Word of God and preach the Scriptures and lead people to Christ. And I called there about six months later. I was speaking at another conference in Northern Ireland that finished on Sunday afternoon, and I couldn't get away till Monday morning, so I went down to this town, I went into the church, came in, they didn't know I was coming, and sat up in the balcony, and and I came a bit late, and the minister was in the pulpit, and he saw me in the balcony, he said, I see that that Charles Price is here tonight. He said, this church changed when we had that mission Six months, what it was, eight months before. That's the last time I was there. Last time I had contact with them, actually, until I heard this in July this year, this church. What, why? They, they've been there for donkey's years. But there were people in the church who would never received the Holy Spirit of God into their lives. There are people in churches all over Canada like that, too. I had the great privilege of serving the People's Church in Toronto. Fifteen years church in the center of Toronto, not in the center, but it has a huge outreach, but there were people who have been around for years, who come and say, you know, I've never known life. I've been born again. That may be true of you tonight. Maybe God has brought you here tonight because you need to be born again. To know that because Jesus Christ died and satisfied the judgment of God, You can be justified, I'm crucified with Christ, but no more than that. I might now receive his life. Remember what Romans 5.10 says? It's a great verse. It says, uh, For if when we were God's enemies we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, that's what we talked about this morning, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? We've been reconciled to God by the death of his son, justified. That is wonderful, but much more than that, he says. That just clears the decks. That just clears the ground so that now much more than that, having been reconciled, will be saved by his life indwelling us, his life coming to impart to us strength and power and ability that we never had before. Dale Moody was a famous evangelist in the 19th century and apparently he used to use uh, this illustration I'm going to steal from him (laughs) and he won't mind because he's been dead for more than 100 years now. (laughs) But he apparently would, would hold up a glove. I don't have a glove with me tonight. But he'd hold up a glove and say, this glove was created in the image of a hand. You recognize the features of a hand. It's got four fingers and a thumb and a palm and a wrist. You recognize this glove is in the image of a hand. And he would say in the same way, you were made in the image of God. Things about you designed to show what God is like. So he'd say, I want to demonstrate to you how this glove can behave like the hand it was made in the image of. So you put the glove down on the desk, and he'd put something, a book or his Bible, something over on the other side, and he'd say, Glove, you're made in the image of a hand, I want you to behave like a hand. Would you pick up that book? And of course, nothing would happen. So Moody would say, Glove, I'm speaking to you. You are made in the image of a hand. Act like a hand. Pick up the book. And nothing would happen. He'd say, Glove, pick it up. (laughs) He'd turn to his, he had a musician called uh, Ira Sankey. He'd say, play some soft music, would you? And we'll see if we can coax the hand, the Glove, into behaving like a hand. He'd go, pick it up. Eventually, Moody, apparently would play that out for a few minutes. He'd pick it up and say, this glove is a dove. How is this glove ever going to pick up that book? There's only one way. He'd slide his hand into the glove. Now the hand is in the glove. He'd say, I want that glove to pick up the book. We children pick it up. What's happened? Does the glove learned a new trick? <laughs> As the glove said, all right, I'll do it. No, the glove has been inhabited by a new power. And all the power of the hand becomes the power of the glove. And Moody would say, you were made in the image of God, but you can't live the way you know you need to live and want to live. That's why we live with such a sense of frustration and failure. Any way you can be what you're created to be is if the Spirit of God comes to live within you. Like the hand in the glove. Now, that's a, a good illustration and a bad illustration. It's a good illustration in that it presents the principle. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Paul's other verse, Philippians 2, uh, 12 it is God who works in you to will and act according to his purpose. Good illustration. In that sense, it's a bad illustration because we are not passive material like that. We don't just sit back passively and the Spirit of God comes to live within us and suddenly, you know, we do things beyond our control. No, and we may talk a bit about more of this later in the week, of course. We, we, are, we are called workers together with God. And, and I love that verse in Colossians 1, which says that we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, Paul's saying that that's what my ministry is, my mission is, Colossians one twenty eight. But then he says, to this end, I labor struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. He says, I labor. The labor is mine. But the energy, it's with his energy, which so powerfully works in me. So I labor. We have to work out what God works in. But what God works in is the new desires, the new ability, the new enabling to live a new quality of life. And our testimony tonight, for Martha, told us that. You can be sure she labors, she struggles, isn't that right? You struggle, of course you do, <laughs> but he says, "I labor, I struggle." That's mine. Okay. But with his energy. That's path he works. In me. And this is what the gospel is, and it's possible, you know, to be in a church like this church. Maybe you're visiting tonight. Maybe you're not normally part of a church. Maybe you've been in some other church. doesn't matter. It's not about a church. It's about where you personally invited Jesus Christ to live within you. And you said, Lord Jesus, you died for me. Thank you. You died for me. I can be justified. I was crucified with Christ, as we saw this morning. But I live, but it's not me living for God. It's Christ living in me. And that can happen for you tonight. You see, we're involved in the process, but our our involvement is a response one. We don't initiate anything. We respond to the Spirit of God speaking to her. And we say, Lord Jesus, please, come deliver me. See, Stephen once, in Acts, was preaching to a crowd and he said to the people, your problem is, you're just like your fathers, you always resist the Holy Spirit. We can resist him. We can resist him. Elsewhere we're told we can grieve the Holy Spirit. And tonight, maybe some of us need to receive the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to lead in prayer. And I'm going to pray a prayer, which maybe is a prayer that is the prayer of some people here tonight, asking him to come to live within you. I'm going to do something I don't do very often at all, I don't know whether it's a practice here in any way at all, but I'm going to then ask you to stay in a spirit of prayerfulness. And if you pray this prayer with me, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand just between you and God. I will see you. Others will be in a spirit of prayer. I won't point you out. I'll just thank you. ask you to put your hand down. Then I'm going to pray for those who have responded. But doing something physical, sometimes makes it memorable in your heart, I have made a response tonight to Jesus Christ. I've invited him tonight to come into my life. I've thanked him for his death. And I've invited him to come and live his life in me. Would you do that if you've, if you've never known Christ in a personal, living, experiential way? Let's pray together and just quietly in your own heart I'll pray and I'll pause to let you repeat this in your own heart after me. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you that you love me. Let's pray that you created me to be the dwelling place of your spirit. But I realize I've been separated from you. And I confess my sin that has shown that separation. Thank you you died that I might be forgiven and justified. I confess my sin to you. Please forgive me. And thank you that you rose from the dead. And you're alive tonight. And you want to live in me. And I invite you to come and live in my life. That I might be born again of the Spirit. Receiving new life with new appetites, new desires, new power. That I might never be the same again. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for coming into my life. In Jesus' name. I'm remaining in a spirit of prayer others praying for those who are battling in this area. If God has spoken to you and you've made that prayer your prayer tonight, would you just raise your hand? There are several hands that have been raised. You may put them down again. Are there any others who haven't raised their hand? But you know God has spoken to you. Thank you. Thank you. I see two others. I'm going to pray for these folks. Lord Jesus, thank you for the relentless love with which you draw us to yourself. And I pray for these folks here tonight who've made this response and acknowledged it. I pray, Lord, that the Holy Spirit will bear witness with their spirit that they are children of God. That they will come to be sure because the Word of God says so, but because the Spirit of God in them says so. There's a sense of life, a new purpose, and resources to live the life you've called us to live. I pray, Lord, you'll encourage them deeply. I pray you'll give to them the courage to share this with somebody else tonight that we may join with them in prayer and support and encouragement in the beginning of this new life. That they'll go on to be men and women of God whose lives exhibit your presence to other people too. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Before I sit down, I don't know if there's a closing hymn. Those of you who did raise your hand, this is entirely to you now. We don't want to in any way embarrass anybody. But it is important that you allow someone just to share this with you, pray with you, and they've encourage you in the days ahead because that's the whole idea that this is the beginning and there's a whole life ahead. And I'd uh, love you to come and speak to me. I'll stay here at the front or to Sim or to somebody you may be very comfortable with, maybe somebody in your own family that you might want to share this with. But let us know that we can take a note of your name just to pray for you and encourage you in uh, the days that lie ahead. So please, please do that. I know that takes a bit of courage. And if you didn't raise your hand, but you did pray that prayer, and you didn't feel comfortable to raise your hand come and tell us anyway that's the important thing that you've made a response to God in your heart and uh, come back tomorrow night there's a lot more to this whole story of what it means to be in fellowship